Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. Let's do it ourselves. One, two, three. Happy Mother's Day. What a great weekend. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, my name is Pastor Mark. You're going to meet my wife, Grace, and the mother of our five kids at the end of the sermon. Uh, but I really have a special sermon I'm super excited to share with you. We're going to talk about God's forever family. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard a lot about a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's true, but there's a lot more to the story. When you meet God, you also meet his family. And it's not just a personal relationship, it's a whole new family. And uh, I'll start with a a bit of a story. Some years ago, I was leading a Bible study. Um, I was a brand new young pastor in my 20s. And uh, there was a bunch of punk rock kids and uh, homeless kids, and they would get together. And so they invited me to come and do a Q&A with them. They wanted to ask some questions to the pastor. They, they weren't gonna come to church, so I thought we'd try and bring church to them. And so uh, as I was teaching, they'd never been to church, so they just kept interrupting me. And uh, they're punk rock kids, they don't obey rules. And so uh, one gal raised her hand, she said, why did God make us? I said, that's a good question. And uh, she was a goth gal, a lot of tattoos, uh, a lot of piercings, a lot of black, and, and you could tell she'd been through quite a bit of hardship in life. And uh, I said, why do you ask? She said, well, why does, what does God need us for? I said, God doesn't need us. I said, in fact, there's nothing that we do that God can't do easier and better. And, uh, and God doesn't need us. She said, then, then why would he make us if he doesn't need us? I said, he made us to love us. And she said, that doesn't make any sense. She said, why would you have a relationship with somebody if you didn't get anything out of it? And I thought, okay, I, I bet you there's a sad family behind that remark. I said, well, no, it's a, it's a one-way relationship. God made us and then he blesses us and he loves us and he serves us. And it's for our benefit, not for his. She said, yeah, I don't understand those kinds of relationships. So that doesn't make any sense to me. She said, I don't know why you would have a relationship with someone unless you got something out of it. I said, well, let me tell you how good God is. God is so good that he made us and he serves us and he loves us and he blesses us and he doesn't get anything out of it, only we do. And so she said, well, she said, that doesn't make any sense. I said, it's kind of like a mother. A mother births, brings life into existence to love, to bless, to serve, and true or false moms, you can now testify here, it's a one-way relationship, <laughs> right? Like, so the moms can just, I'll give you a little Q&A, moms. So if you, if you have a child, do you have more or less sleep? Less. less, okay. If you have a child, do you have more or less energy? Less, less. The, the mom over here is chuckling. Okay, so if you, if you have a child, do you have more or less money? Less. Um, and as a dad, I would tell you much less. And so, um, so what happens is like, why would you have a child? Because there's something in us made by God, made to love. And when we love with a one-way love and a one-way grace, something in that just feels like the best thing in the world. That being said, um, I'm gonna talk about God's family. And the heart of God is that God doesn't need anything, but he wants a family. And God doesn't create a family because it benefits him. He creates a family so he can love and serve and bless us. Let me start by telling you who God is in a way that may not be a way that you're familiar of considering God. First, God is a forever family. The God of the Bible has no no beginning and has no end. He's outside of time and eternal. And God is a forever family. Uh, You're here present, or if you're watching online, you're tuning in to Trinity Church. It's a word that Christians have long used to explain who our God is. It's this completely unique view of God that comes only from the Bible. And it is that there is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means is that God lives in perfect relationship forever and ever and ever. The Father, Son, and Spirit, they love one another, they serve one another, they bless one another, they consider one another, they honor one another. 
and it's a bit like a family. I'll share it with you. First John chapter four, verse eight, tells us that this God that loves us, he is in fact love. God is love. Everything God says is loving and everything God does is loving. God is love. And there's a relational word there that love is what happens between uh, people, persons who have affection and devotion. In addition, it says in John 3.35, God the Father loves God the Son. You'll notice there the strong family language. God's a father and then Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's family language. So the Father loves the Son. In addition, uh, John 14.31, Jesus says, I love the Father. So they're very open about their love and affection and devotion for one another. The third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, well, he is the source of love. It tells us that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 is love. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans that God pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is the love of God poured out into the children of God. So when we think of the, uh, the concept of the Trinity, um, what can sometimes happen is we think physically and we think, well, how can three be one? Well, the truth is it's better to think relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. Think of the Trinity in terms of a perfect, loving, unified family where everyone is for the other, cares for, is devoted to one another perfectly. The Trinity is like that. Uh, let me talk about... Um, God's forever family, and I, I, I erred, so I'll tell the person in the booth. Go back to Luke chapter one, verse 35. Um, we just looked at God as a forever loving family, and then what God wants to do, God wants to have us be part of his family. We'll get into that in a moment. But the most famous family in the history of the world uh, is probably Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And when we think of motherhood on Mother's Day, well, it's amazing to think that our God came into the world as a baby. Uh, he had a mother. She birthed him and raised him and fed him and changed him. Our God understands what it's like to love his mother and have a mother who loves him. And so here's uh, God's forever family speaking to the family that he was going to create through Mary and Joseph. The angel said to her, Luke uh, 135, so the angel comes with a message to this young woman, Mary. Now, uh, she is betrothed to be married. That's somewhere between engaged and married, uh, but she's devoted and committed. And she's got her wedding day on the calendar. She's filled out her registry. She's got all of her announcements. She's picked out her dress. She's chosen her bridesmaid. It's all ready to become a reality. That most amazing day for a young woman. She's probably a teenager, maybe in middle school. She lives in a small town. She comes from a poor family. She probably grew up knowing uh, her fiance since they were little kids. And then an angel shows up and pivots her plan and says to Mary, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity will come upon you. The power of the Most High, that's God the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God, that's Jesus. God shows up to Mary, and he tells her, my family is starting your family, and my family is joining your family. God is a forever family, and he comes to Mary and Joseph, and he tells them, the Son of God is going to go from uh, this family to your family. And so what he is promising is that God's family won't just exist in heaven, that God wants to extend and expand his family to the earth. And that's with the birth of Jesus. Now, that being said, um, let me jump to my next point. God not only is uh, a forever family and God is a loving forever family, God wants a divine loving family. This is something you may have never considered even if you've been in church your whole life. I'll read it to you from Job 38, four through seven. So Job is a man having a tough day. And so God comes and asks him some questions. He asks, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So what God is saying is, let's go all the way back to the time before time. Let's go back to prior to the creation of human life. So this is before men and women existed. God still had relationships and he was working. Tell me if you have understanding who determines its measurements, surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it, 
or what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when, and here's the two groups of beings I want you to pay attention to, when the morning stars, the morning stars are ancient language for angels. God's in heaven, we're on earth, just like the heavens are above us and the stars are between us and the heavens. So the angels are referred to as stars between us and God. That is reference to the angels. And then it goes on to say, uh, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Okay, just bear with me. The sons of God, at this point, there were no human beings. We know from Galatians and Romans that as Christian believers, we are called the sons of God. And some of you ladies may be offended by that, don't. It's actually an honor. In the ancient world, sons had legal rights and inheritance that daughters didn't. So what God does, he calls all of his children, his sons and daughters, categorically, legally, he calls us sons because we all have equality and a fully equally shared inheritance. It was a way of honoring the women in a way that the culture didn't. Now, that being said, here, what God says is, when I created the world, and then God created man and woman, but before the creation of man and woman, there were some beings, some people who lived in relationship with God. First, it's the angels. This is God's divine family. Uh, the Bible talks about angels about 300 times in about 90% of the books of the Bible. Uh, we don't know how many angels there are. It says that there are quote, innumerable angels, a thousand thousand and 10,000 times 10,000. So God's divine family in the unseen realm, God's divine family in the unseen realm has spirit beings, just like God's family in our realm has human beings. In addition, there are the sons of God. The sons of God are another category of divine being. Maybe it's angels, maybe it's a different kind of being or person that God made. When we get to heaven, we'll meet them and ask them. Until then, it's a big question mark. But what happens in God's divine family is that the angels and the sons of God, number one, they're not male and female because they don't inhabit a physical body like we do. They're spirit beings. Number two, they're not equal to God. They don't share all of his attributes. God knows everything. The angels and the sons of God, they don't know everything. God can be everywhere. The angels and the sons of God, they can't be everywhere. God has all power. The angels and the sons of God, they have limited power. So here's what we've examined. God is a forever family. God is a loving forever family. And sometimes when we hear that God is a family, if we didn't come from a loving family, we wonder is that, does God have a dangerous family? Does God have a selfish family? Uh, does God have a broken family? No, God is a loving family. And God wants a loving divine family. God has throughout history been working on creating, building, loving, serving, blessing a family. That's why days like Mother's Day and Father's Day mean so much to us. There's something in us that says, yes, family, family is something worth serving and seeking. Now, part of what happens when we come to any holiday, this can be Thanksgiving or Christmas or Father's Day or Mother's Day, not to get super dark, but just to be honest for a moment, is family sometimes a bit painful, a bit complicated? Well, it started in God's divine family. Satan attacked the divine family. Satan attacked the divine family. It says this in Revelation 12, seven through nine. Now war arose in heaven. All the battles on earth are the result of this battle in heaven. Michael, one of the only two named angels in the Bible along with Gabriel, and his angels, there's the divine family, fighting against the dragon, that's Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So God's a loving divine for, forever family. And then he creates angels, divine beings, the sons of God to love and to bless and to serve. And one of those created beings, an angel named Satan, decided that he was going to attack the family, that he was going to declare war on the family, that he was going to divide and destroy the family. The Bible says elsewhere that he took a third of the angels with him. And what happens is there's a war in heaven and the angels defeat Satan and demons, but how many families do we have now? We've got two families. Friends, this is the only thing that makes sense of human history. 
This is the only thing that makes sense of our culture and our world and our politics. This is the only thing that makes sense of all that we're dealing with and enduring. There was a, a fight over God's divine family and it led to two families. Now, at this moment in history, um, Satan becomes a, a counterfeit father. Jesus calls him, quote, the father of lies. So now you've got God the father and the father of lies. And they each now have a family. Now there's two families. There's a family that is for God. There's a family that's against God. There's a family that'll tell the truth and there's a family that will tell lies. There is a family that is pursuing life and there is a family that prefers death. Then what we see next in the storyline of the Bible is what God wants in our world is the same thing that he wanted in that world, a divine family. God wants a loving uh, forever human family, okay? It says this in Genesis 1, 26, 28. Then God said, God works through the power of his word. Let us, you know what that is? That's the Trinity. That's God's divine family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and possibly the angels and the sons of God are present. Let us make man, the word there is Adam, Adam, it's mankind. In our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion. God's going to give his human family authority over all of creation over animals and plants and lower creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and he created them male and female, a man and a woman, and God blessed them. Here's what I love about God. When he creates life, he blesses it. At this point in the story, they have not asked God to bless them. He just blesses them because he's good. You need to know that ours is a God who likes to bless and he wants to bless and he seeks to bless and he blesses them and he blesses us. And God said to them, God seeks them, he speaks to them, he blesses them. Be what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill, uh, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven and over, over everything that moves on the ground. So God makes a man and a woman and now we have the beginning of the human family, God's forever human family. And what does God say to the man and the woman? You should make a family. And then those families should get married and make more families. And we should fill the whole earth with families. And I made this whole planet and all of the resources so that my family in the unseen realm could bless your families in the seen realm and that families would multiply in love and blessing and life on the earth. This is why we're still having children. This is why we're still hopeful that our children can grow up to know and love and serve the Lord. That was God's original divine design. And out of this comes a family that becomes the nation of Israel and the rest of the Old Testament is largely written by or to what was called a nation, but it started as a family. And the family just kept getting married and having kids. And eventually you go from a family to a nation. The entire Old Testament is a family history of one family blessed by God to be his family. Up until this point, we've seen that God had a divine family and there was a war and it split into two families. We've now seen that God created a human family. And what we're gonna see next is Satan comes to try and divide and destroy the human family. Um, and sadly, we rejected God's love and his forever family. Here, um, let me give you the story and then I'll give you the summation in Romans and Ephesians. So the remainder of the story in Genesis and Genesis three is this, God made a human family and he told him, get married, make babies, who make babies, who make babies, who make babies. Let me just tell you this, God likes babies, okay? He just does. And then in Genesis three, somebody shows up. For those of you who know a bit of the Bible, who is it? It's Satan, the father of lies. And he comes to declare war on the human family, just as he declared war on the divine family. He comes to divide and destroy the human family, just as he did the divine family. So here's our first parents, Adam and Eve, and they've got a decision to make. What's the decision? Which family are we in? Are we gonna remain loyal to the Lord and be in his family? Or are we going to align with Satan 
and join his family. And literally as the first man and woman, the first mother and father, we all descend from Adam and Eve. And when they made that decision, they made it for the entire human family. So this is, this is the most significant decision that any human being could possibly make in the history of the world. Which family is the rest of the family going to be born into? They sinned against God. They chose rebellion against God. And the result is our human family joined Satan's family. Okay, question. Um, how many of you looking at the world, you see this? Well, howdy, it's Ashley Chase here, the executive director of Real Faith Ministries, which I get to run with my parents, Pastor Mark and Grace. If you want to be the first to receive exclusive content and updates from Real Faith and my parents' Bible teaching, you can text REAL to 99383. You'll get eBooks, sermons, videos, and more sent straight to your phone every week to keep you from sliding into heresy and apostasy. You're welcome. That's REAL to 99383. And if you're strengthened, encouraged, and built up by my parents' teaching, Consider partnering with us at realfaith.com. Every dollar you give reaches 100 people with the gospel. And as our thanks to you, we'll send you an ebook of Pastor Mark's Systematic Theology, which is called Doctrine. It's all about Jesus. It's an incredible resource, whether you just met Jesus or you've known him for a long time, and we hope it answers some of your questions. Again, just give a gift at realfaith.com and we'll send you a copy. We were made for life and we're dying. We're made for truth, we're lying. We're made for hope. We're sad, depressed, and anxious and suicidal. We were made for unity. We have division. We were were made to live and, and we're not living because in sin, we join Satan's family. The result is this, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, this is a commentary on our first father, Adam, and our first mother, Eve, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. And the result is Ephesians 2, 3, by nature, we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so God is a family and he makes a perfect loving divine family. There is a war, the family splits, the rebellious, uh, evil, satanic, half of the family comes down, recruits, our family, the human family, to join their family. At this point, everyone is going to die and everyone is going to hell, everyone. Now, let me say what I'm gonna tell you next is shocking because God did something for his human family that he didn't do for his divine family. Can demons be saved? No. Can one demon apologize, repent, receive Jesus as their savior and go to heaven. Nope. Jesus only saves human beings, not divine beings. You and I did the same thing that the demons did. We joined the wrong family in the fight. Yet God does for us what he didn't do for them. He gives us an opportunity to be saved and to get back into his family. I'll read it to you. Ephesians 1, four through six, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We chose Satan as our father and God chose us as his kids. That's amazing. We chose Satan as our father and God the father chose us to be his sons and daughters. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God knows everything in advance. God sovereignly rules over everyone and everything. He knew what Satan and demons and men and women would do. And he devised a plan to save us before sin even occurred, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. Some of you uh, on this Mother's Day, you have biological children. Some of you adopted them. So for the families that adopted children, let me ask the question, did the child choose you or did you choose the child? I've never seen a child fill out forms, uh, get an attorney and then adopt their parents. It's always one way, the parents adopt the child. For us to be brought back into God's family, we needed God to choose us and God chose us to be adopted into his family. 
Our whole world wants to think that we're good. We're not, but we're loved. And God doesn't choose us because we're good, but because he's good. In the same way, any parent who adopts, let's say a troubled child, they're doing so out of pure love and it reflects something of their character. And what happens in every loving relationship with a child, yes, the child chooses you, but they choose you after you've chosen them. So for example, in an adoption, you adopt the child. Eventually their heart will open, they will trust you, they will love you, and they will want you to be their parent. But you need to go first and you need to initiate the relationship and make the adoption. God did that. This is what is so remarkable about God. God took his enemy and made them his family. God is so committed to having a family that even when we have declared war on the father and rejected the family, the father adopts us back because he's so committed to having a family. Goes on to say, uh, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Again, grace is one way love. This is like a mother with a baby. The baby isn't contributing anything. The mother is doing everything uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Um, two things, just in summation. Number one, when Satan and demons sinned against God, he was out of the, they were out of the family and they could never be brought back into the family of God. You and I did the same thing, but God did something amazing for us that he didn't do for them. He said, I'm bringing you back. I love you, I forgive you, I adopt you. I want good for you. I'm gonna rescue you. I'm gonna take care of you. A lot of people ask, what does God want? He wants you. He wants you. And he wants you to be part of his family. This is, this is the very heart of God. This is why there's so much conflict in our world. It's why, um, it's why Satan didn't even show up until Adam and Eve were married. He was going after the family. This is why in our own day, uh, godless government, bad politics, horrible curriculum, they keep going for our kids. S Satan's trying to grow his family and he does so by attacking God's family. So the fight continues. Um, but here's the good news. I know this is the weirdest Mother's Day sermon of all time, but there is good news. Um, because motherhood only makes sense in the context of family. And you need to know that um, God has a human family and he's got a big human family called the universal church. This would be all of God's children who believe in Jesus, belong to Jesus. Jesus is our big brother, the son of God, who comes to live without sin, to die for our sin, to rise as our savior, so that we could be adopted and brought back into relationship with the father and the family. And so for all of those people that God has adopted into his family, throughout all of time and all of the nations, theologians will call that the universal church. That's God's big family. Now, let me give you just something so exciting. There will be a day when we all rise from the dead who belong to Jesus as Jesus did. We will all be healed. We will all be whole. We'll all be filled with joy. We'll have nothing but peace and prosperity forever because once our father gets rid of that family, then all he's gonna do is bless our family, that's his plan. And what that means is when we raise from the dead, here's what it means. Number one, we're gonna live forever in a human body. Number two, heaven is a family reunion. Heaven is where you get to meet all your brothers and sisters. Heaven is where all the brothers and sisters that came before us, all the brothers and sisters that'll come after us unless Jesus comes back soon, which could be the case, uh, the rate we're going. And all the brothers and sisters and all the nations and languages and cultures of the world, all the children that God adopted 
into his family. We're gonna meet all of those people in heaven, in the kingdom of God. It's gonna be a massive family reunion that never ends. For those of you who are introverts, you gotta get over it. Uh, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of meeting new people in heaven. How many of you, that sounds exciting, like a perfect world and a healed family and a family reunion, right? In addition, here's what it means. God is going to heal your family at that family reunion. Some of you, your relationships with parents or maybe even spouse or your own children or extended family, you're like, man, it just, that, that longing for family and that warmth and that love and that affection and that devotion, we just don't have it. You will. Just be patient, saint. In God's resurrected kingdom, his forever family, you're gonna be perfect and they're gonna be perfect and you're gonna have a perfect relationship forever and ever and ever. See, this is the hope of the believer. The Bible says that no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived of what God has planned. Paraphrase for his family. So God has a big family and God has little families. They're called local churches. Where you're at today is a local church. And what a local church is, it's it's part of God's family. It's a little family made up of families and it's a little family that's part of God's big family. This concept has largely been lost. Church is a family or church, I should say, should be a family. Why are we all here? To get to know one another as the family. I'll give you a few verses. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. It's a good thing to help people, to give money to charitable organizations, doing good causes. It's good to be politically involved. But what he says is family first. If you wanna help somebody, start with the family. If you wanna look after somebody, start with the family. What he's saying is, Take care of members of your own church family before you look after others. First priority should be God's family. Number two, he refers to us as the household of faith. In the early church, when the saints would gather, God's children would gather, where do they often meet? For those of you who know the Bible. In houses. You know why? They were family. They would literally get together and have a meal. They called it communion. Because they're communing with God and one another. So they're meeting in homes as extended families. You got the dads getting together, the moms getting together, the kids are playing, it's, it's a family. First Timothy 5, one and two, Paul says this to a young church leader. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Okay, now this is a rhetorical question, but how many of you, your father has frustrated you? Just so you know, that's, that's our job. Um, so when your father frustrates you, you should speak to him, but still honor and respect him. And what he's saying is in the church family, when the older men frustrate you, remember to treat them like fathers, like fathers. Because the church family should teach people how to do family. The church family should teach people how to do family because God's commitment is to family and God's building family and God's all about family. In addition, it says this in uh, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, younger men as brothers. So how many of you growing up, you had a brother and sometimes you drove one another crazy or got into a conflict? What it says is every church is like a family. Every family has its problems. The question is, how does God's family resolve its problems? Well, if it's a brother, treat him like a brother. Respect and honor, but direct and correct. And what you'll see is throughout the Bible, um, they, they call fellow Christians brothers. You need to know that in that day, this was illegal. This was actually a crime, what Paul's doing because you were only allowed to call someone a brother or a sister if they were a biological relative, because that gave them potential legal rights to your estate. 
But what happened when people got adopted into God's family and then they joined a local church family, all of a sudden they were so committed to one another like a family that they used family language. And sometimes you're blessed because your family is also part of God's family. And sometimes your family is not part of God's family, but you still have family. Sometimes somebody feels closer than your brother. Sometimes somebody feels closer than your sister. Sometimes somebody feels closer than your father or closer than your mother. And it's not that you don't love your mother and father, it's that when you're doing life together in God's family, it just feels like a wonderful family. He goes on to say, uh, older women as mothers. In the church, older women are to be honored and respected, to be listened to, to be considered. We live in a day when everyone is encouraged to rebel against older generations and authority. This starts in the earliest ages of entertainment for children. It's all about rebellion and generational rebellion against mothers and fathers. And the Bible says, no, 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 we honor mother and father. And in the church, we honor those who are of the same age as mother and father. And then he says one other thing that is just transforming. If our world did even a percentage of this, it would start to heal. Goes on to say, younger women as sisters in all purity. So for you younger men, when you meet a gal, she's your spiritual sister. So we treat our women differently because they're part of God's family. We love and honor and encourage and bless. The whole point is that God thinks in terms of family from beginning to end, God teaches us to think in terms of family. And the reason um, why our world, what our world wants right now, what our culture wants, really, really, if I had to just summarize it, wants a family. It's like, can we just love each other? Can we just help each other? Can we just agree? No, because there's two families. And those families have always been at war and you can't reconcile those two families. So ultimately God's going to need to remove the one family. So all that's left is his family. That's the only way we get peace and prosperity and love. It, we need to be patient and we need to be caring for and taking care of one another until Jesus comes back and then he'll fix all the problems. The last two. 2 Timothy 1, three through five, Paul says to this young man, Timothy, I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Paul looks at Timothy, he says, the reason that you're a man of God today is your grandma and your mom. He's honoring them. These two women actually get their names put in the Bible. You know what that means? Motherhood is ministry. I've heard some people say, well, I don't know if I'm called to ministry. Let me just tell you this. If you're a mother, you're called to ministry. A full-time, more than full-time ministry. And, and what he's saying here is your grandma loved the Lord and your mom loved the Lord. And the reason that you know and love the Lord is because your mom and your grandma. And let's just be honest. Most of us got prayed into the kingdom of God by our mom and our grandma. Is anybody else, that's my story. Anybody else hear a story? My mom got saved, got healed, and started praying for me. And my mom was really the first to actively be walking with the Lord in our family. And she set the agenda, she set the pace, she set the example. My mom's watching, and so I love my mom and I wanna honor her. My mom is a, a woman who prays every day for all of her kids and 20-something grandkids. And so within this, what we see throughout history is oftentimes the same situation as Timothy. His father is not mentioned. We don't know if he left or he passed away, but we do know that his faith came from his mother and his grandmother. You mothers and grandmothers, you need to know, number one, you're part of God's family. Number two, you're part of our family, this church family. Number three, God cares about your family and we care about your family too and that you are there to bring the word of God and the presence of God for generations and motherhood is a ministry. I would submit to you 
that there has perhaps never been a time in the Western world that we need mothers doing ministry more than we do today. And then for some of you, Mother's Day is a little complicated because you're like, well, my mom passed away or, or my child passed away or wasn't able to have children. Does that mean I never get to be a mother? It doesn't. Because in addition to physical mothers, here's my last point, there are spiritual mothers. It says this in Romans 16, 13, uh, greet Rufus, Paul says, chosen in the Lord and also his, his mother. She had to be awesome. He's writing a book of the Bible. He's like, tell her hi. She's awesome. I love her. She's just, give her a hit, give her a hug. You know, how many of you have met a gal who's filled with the spirit and she's got a mother's heart and she kind of adopts you and you're really good with that. That's a spiritual mother. A spiritual mother isn't biologically your mother, but spiritually she is. She prays for you, she encourages you, she corrects you. She's like a mother. Greet Rufus, chosen of the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Isn't this shocking? Paul is one of the most significant men in the history of the world. And you know what he's grateful for? A spiritual mother a spiritual mother. In addition to motherhood being a ministry, spiritual motherhood is a ministry. On Mother's Day, I think, well, I know you should call your mom. Buy her something nice and tell her thanks and tell her, I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, just apologize, it'll help. But it's also good to contact your spiritual mothers. Maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a student ministry leader, maybe it was somebody in kids ministry, maybe it was an aunt, an uncle, maybe it was someone who was a teacher at the school or a coach at the field, and they were like a mother to you. And they loved you with that kind of love and you cared for them like you would your own mother. I, I feel this way, quite frankly, about my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law with all my heart. We're very close, she's part of our church family. And I'm like, I love her. Like if I was writing a book of the Bible, I'd sneak her in. I mean, she's that great. You know, tell Linda, I said, howdy and thanks for the pie. You know, I, and so, but what you'll see over and over and over is the world doesn't understand family because the world doesn't have our father. But we, we understand family because we, we have a father who's all about family. And so, what we wanna do is today, we're here to number one, honor the mothers. So can we just publicly thank and honor all of the grandmothers and the mothers, amen? amen. Because outside of the church, sometimes there's criticism of mothers. In this church and in every church, there should be an honoring of mothers. Number two, we wanna honor the spiritual mothers. And, and if you have a spiritual mother, Wish her a happy Mother's Day, thank her. And I just wanna thank and honor and bless the women, especially the older women in this church that have a mother's heart. They love, they care, they pray, they mentor, they serve, and they are a blessing, amen? So can we also just honor and thank the spiritual mothers on Mother's Day? Um, bring Grace up in just one minute. I wanna publicly thank um, the Lord for the fact that we now have, this is a very special Mother's Day for our family. We have three generations of mothers in this church family, our family. So we have my mother-in-law and my wife, and then our daughter-in-law and our daughter are pregnant with grandsons. We have three generations of mothers in our family, part of our church family. I'm so excited. Okay. And I wanna thank you for loving uh, women and children and our men's ministry. We, we build men up to bless women and children. I wanna thank you for honoring motherhood. I wanna thank you mothers for sharing your children with us. We have record kids attendance. We have more women pregnant than any time in the history of the church. Like next Mother's Day, I don't know where we're gonna fit. Like you are doing, you're doing a lot to grow God's family. So thank you for that. And I'll close with this. So many of you are here because you have God's heart for family, your family and church family. 
And oftentimes people will ask, but especially mothers, what's the best way to build my family? Answer, for your family to build his family. The best way to build your family is for your family to build his family. Worship together, pray together, serve together, build relationships together, make church family a priority and see how your family will be blessed. That's been our story. My whole family is here. You are our church family. You're a wonderful church family. And you've been a tremendous blessing to every member of my family. That being said, I'm gonna bring up my best friend and wife, Grace, and she's got a special gift for all the mothers. Um, show it to you real quick. She wrote a devotional. You can get it online. We've got free copies from Real Faith Ministry. We'll give you on the way out. Happy Mother's Day, best friend. Thank you for coming to work on Mother's Day. Most women don't sign up for extra shifts on Mother's Day weekend. You wanna tell them a little bit about uh, our family? Uh, yeah, five kids from 17 to 25. Five. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm old. Um, yeah, and then two grandsons on the way. We're very excited. It's a really fun year. Um, it's, it's been fun for a long time, but it's an extra special year for us. And um, I think for me as a mom, one of the things that I've learned the hard way is that if we aren't as moms willing to learn and be sanctified, then motherhood will be miserable for us <laughs> because we're constantly looking at our kids like looking in a mirror. And when they reflect our sin and errors, we often want to just get upset with them or discipline them. Um, but really, it's an opportunity for us to turn to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, how did I reflect this to my child? Why are they responding this way? How can I love them through this? How can I train them through this? How can I enjoy them? Um, because it can be really frustrating and exhausting. Um, but when we get on that wheel of just seeing their sin and not our own, then motherhood is really exhausting. <laughs> and so for me, it was important just to realize, I don't remember at what point, it was far too long into motherhood, but just to realize that it's an opportunity for us to grow. And I always joke that that's why God gave me five, because he had to teach me a lot. So, um, but we, Ashley asked um, if I wanted to write a devotional with her, and it's just, it's a 10-day devotional. And my first thought was, I don't know if I should do that because I did a lot of things wrong. And as I prayed about it, I thought, you know, this is a really fun opportunity with my daughter and she has an incredible gift of writing as well and, and organizing and I'm not an organized person. So she kind of came up with the topics and then um, we both wrote and filled in the blanks or, um, and it's just, it was a fun process and realizing that God really does use everything good and bad that we do as moms and he makes up for all the difference um, and the things that we do do wrong. Um, and again, just to grow as we parent our kids. Um, I grew up as a Christian in a pastor's home. Um, so I would have thought that I was more prepared to be a mom, but I still had a lot to work through. And I lived with the little five little kids. I lived in survival mode a lot. And that's not a great way to parent. <laughs> so unfortunately, I've had to apologize to my kids for that a lot through the years. And now that they're old enough to tell me what I did wrong, it's extra fun. Um, and so um, more apologizing, which I'm thankful they're forgiving. But there were a lot of parenting books out there. And I, as I was writing this um, devotional, I thought, what does it really boil down to? What did I not do that I should have? What did I do that was good and helpful during those years? Um, we're still parenting a bit. We have um, a son that's going be a senior and we get to encourage our older kids now in their lives with their spouses and as they enter into dating years and stuff but for me really when I spent time with the Lord um, in his word and in prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit those were the times when I was the best mom because I was getting filled up by the Lord so that I could then give what God was giving me back to my kids when I lived on my own energy and just kind of stuck it out it wasn't a good result with my kids. And so really 
this devotional is just some specific topics of how you can focus on prayer, focus on the word, and really get filled up as a mom. And I know I always used to think, oh, I just, I don't have time. I, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to raise my kids and God, you can speak in whenever you want, but I'm just going to keep going here. And this is, you know, what I have to do. And that wasn't healthy. In those times, I was not a great mom. And so we tried to come up with areas where you can just, it's not, you know, all inclusive. We, we would write, you know, thousands, thousands of pages if it was like a parenting book, but it just ways to encourage you. So we wrote on, um, there's a section for how to pray for your kids, how to teach them discernment, um, how to teach them humility and the gospel if they don't know it yet. And actually we need to keep teaching them the gospel because I grew up with it, but I didn't always believe it was true for me. And so reminding um, us that and them that it's always true for them and, and forgives their sin, um, how to fight isolation, and then how to, as we're entering into these years with older kids, um, kind of how to have unique relationships with each of them and not just when they're 18 say, okay, I'm done, you're out. Um, that's not helpful for them or for us because we get to enjoy those years of fruitfulness that we invested in those years of their life. And so just some little highlights um, and topics that you can go through. And we have verses along the way and application sections. Um, so hopefully it's just helpful to get you going and some good habits. And I know I would have loved to have something like this that would have gotten me going in the right direction instead of just frantic so much. So Thank you for writing it. It's a gift to all you moms. Um, in addition, thank you for being literally an incredible mother. <laughs> and thank you for being a spiritual mother at our church family. Um, men who do ministry without their wives don't have great church families. The only way to have a great church family is you gotta get mom involved and you gotta get the moms involved. And so I just wanna thank you for being a great spiritual um, mother at home and at church. And uh, maybe if you could just pray over the moms on Mother's Day. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you set up the system of family from the beginning because you knew that was the best way. Lord, I pray that we would get time with you and understand your intentions with that and understand the wisdom that comes from that and that your Holy Spirit would guide these mothers and spiritual mothers in this room. Um, Lord, there's hard days in parenting and just being real about that and running to you um, for strength, for patience, for love, for goodness and kindness when we don't feel it. Lord, I just pray that we would rely on you, um, that we wouldn't try and do parenting without you. Lord, I pray for um, husbands to celebrate their wives if they have kids, that they would feel honored this weekend and they would feel thanked um, for the hard work that isn't always seen or acknowledged. I pray that kids would be grateful to their mothers um, and that they would learn um, gratitude and that not just from the mother's teaching, but just from seeing all the things their mom does, big and small, um, Lord, that there would just be a heart of gratitude in the kids that are from this church family and beyond. So thank you that we get the privilege and the honor of having children, of raising children, of overseeing training and enjoying them and spiritually leading them. And whatever role the women in this room have, Lord, I just pray that you would bless them and guide them and give them wisdom wisdom to help others in Jesus name. Amen. Amen we hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.